You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 158 of the Life in Ruins podcast, where we investigate the careers of those living a life in ruins. I'm your host, Connor John, and I'm joined by my co-host, David Howe. <laughs> For this week's episode, we are joined by Joshua Heron. Josh is a military veteran who served in the United States Army. He then attended Georgia Southern University for his undergraduate studies and later earned his master's there as well. Josh is not only knowledgeable about British colonial and southeastern archaeology, but also is the current laboratory manager of the Augusta Veterans Curation Program, accepting the job after David's departure. Yeah, man, it's been a minute. I guess we were just saying in the, in the chat, like, I guess since you took my job. Well, I took my job. I handed you, I don't know what the word is, pass the torch. There you go. I also need to bring up really quickly, you're the first person I've seen with a Majora's Mask poster in the background, so automatic points. So, David, how long were you in Augusta at the program? I started in like April 20, or May 2018, April 2018, and then left in like, I remember Halloween 2021. So I, I took the brunt of COVID living alone in Augusta and it was not, <laughs> I'm where I am now because of that. <laughs> yeah, it was not, it was not a good time down there for me. <laughs> Do you enjoy Josh not living in Augusta? Augusta, you know, for all its charms is just kind of a gross place. It's hot. It smells. And like, I would describe it as like, it has every chain restaurant you could want besides yeah. like in and out but like, there's nothing else there. Like yeah. it, it's just nothing to do. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, we're really selling Augusta. So uh, <laughs> where exactly do you live? And are you a Georgia boy? I live in a tiny little town called Social Circle. Wow. It's right below Covington, Georgia, which is about 30 minutes from Atlanta. That sounds like Elon Musk's new thing. Oh, God. <laughs> His new social media output. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm in Social Circle, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you did you grow up in Georgia, Josh? Yep. I've been here my whole life. I don't know why. I'm not built for the heat. I hate it. I mean, <laughs> I live in one of the hottest places in the U.S. So I grew up in a little town called Jessup. And it's everything you imagine a small town in Georgia would be. Spent most of my time at my grandfather's in an even smaller town called Oliver, which has a total population of about 250. Wow. Yeah. In Georgia. So... In Georgia, so I guess we talk about Western archaeology a lot here. So, like out west, sites just appear like on the surface. They were like a Paleo Indian dropped it there; it's still there. Yeah. Out east, though, did you get to find a lot of like stuff as a kid in the yard? Or? You know, I, we lived on such a big farm, and I—I I mean, it was something like two hundred acres or something like that. Wow. Never found a single artifact, but it was likely because I never thought, "Hey, I'll find some artifacts here." Gotcha. So, you know, looking back, I'm thinking, my God, I, I was probably surrounded. Yeah. Like just take a few STPs and, yeah. and find some. What kind of led you, well, you joined the military eventually, but like what got you into archaeology as a kid? You know, as, as much as I've learned differently about archaeological ethics, it was in fact, Dr. Jones himself that, that got me into archaeology. Nothing wrong with that, dude. I, I thought I'm going to be punching Nazis and wooing <laughs> women and finding treasure, but Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's quite the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which one is your favorite? I'm an outlier. My favorite's Temple. No, that's fun. Yeah, I always get people tell me theirs is either Ark or um, Crusade, but I, I like Temple. I think it's because it was the first one I saw. Yeah, it's, it's just different. Yeah. Are you a Lost World person versus Jurassic Park 1 or 3 then? 
Oh, wow. So I, def- I definitely perpetuate the dino stereotypes that we get uh, as archaeologists yeah. because I love dinosaurs. I saw Jurassic Park when it came out in theaters. I'm actually drinking water out of my, uh, what's the most recent one? The Jurassic World one? I don't uh, think I'm talking about those. Jurassic Kingdom or something? Well, I'm drinking out of my commemorative cup and also have the commemorative <laughs> popcorn bucket because I went and saw it when it first came out. You know, the first one and the last one. Hell yeah. I think they did what they could with the latter ones, but, you know, there's something about the first one that just, seeing it when it first came out, it was pure magic. So, nice. yeah. Wait, I'm a bit- uh, I didn't realize... Yeah, the first one came out in like what, 90? 94, I believe. 94. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I was I was a fetus. <laughs> yeah, I was I was in there watching it with my grandma and grandpa and I had to come out during the raptor scene, but I bucked up and went back in and made it through. I used to be scared of the the stegosaurus like when it the like my neighbors were watching it and like when it was sick laying on the the ground. Like That's I a triceratops. Out. Tris, right, triceratops, yeah. right. Sorry, I didn't and, mean uh, to do the stereotype <laughs> no, again. By all means. Please correct I, this man. I remember hiding under a blanket and I threw up and like I, I was just scared. Not one single adult in my life as a child was like, why does he throw up so much? Maybe he needs some anxiety medicine. I don't know. But, yeah. Like I just wasn't, did you just, you just farted underneath there or smelled it? Nah. But, just, okay. <laughs> no, you're good. No, it's like an, I, I'm a huge fan of the second one. I don't know. That's a little bit of an outlier. Uh, oh, yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's wild. But I'm, I'm glad you are another person who uh, perpetuates the stereotypes of yeah. archaeologists and dinosaurs because I'm, I'm also the same way. Like I was, a, I was a paleontologist first, and then I adopted archaeology as a secondary career. Yeah, we kind of we all kind of get into that. So yeah, did you go to college first? Or you joined the military first. I can't remember. <laughs> so there's a running joke in our department at Georgia Southern. Well, it's not my department anymore, but there's a running joke in the anthro department that I've been there longer than most of the professors. Oh, one of, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Heidi Altman. We often make the joke when we both first started there. We had brown hair, and now we both have gray hair. <laughs> uh, my mentor, Dr. Wood, I've been there for about six years longer than him. I started in 2006, straight out of high school. I was immediately introduced to the gym and met a bunch of bouncers. And they were like, hey, dude, come bounce, which led to free drinks at the bars, which led to academic probation, which led to having to stay out for three years to get all my grades reset, which led to me being broke and saying, you know what? Screw it. I'll join the army. They pay. So <laughs> it was definitely story. not out of, yeah, it is, it's very, I do love that the gym was the, the gateway drug. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Once I discovered that you can be a huge human, I was like, oh yeah. And then, you know, you get the bars in Statesboro were such a cult. We were such, all the bouncers and bartenders and servers were such a group of like, there is one thing to do and one thing only, and it's just get trashed. Hmm. So it definitely led to my academic downfall early on. I could definitely see you being a bouncer because when I first met you, I was definitely shocked at how just like large you are, <laughs> like 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 in terms of height. I should say like that's what like, Nate oh, all wow. the time is like, dude. He's just a large human. <laughs> you could crush me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, damn. I'm such, I'm such a gentle giant, but my face just makes me look like a axe murderer. Well, yeah, you got the people can't see it right now, but you got the the big long beard, and then do you still have the like the the Mohawk ponytail thing? Nope. I went back. It was just the Georgia summer. I don't know how I thought I was going to survive with that hair. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, I couldn't yeah. do it either. Yeah. Did you initially go in for history, anthropology, something like that? Or did you 
I did not know what I did not know that anthropology led to archaeology. In fact, I didn't even know anthropology existed. So for my first semester, I was a history major. And then I discovered, hey, anthropology is where I need to be. So I quickly switched over. I did this uh, letters to a pen pal thing. You know, it it pairs STEM professionals with kids in underserved communities. And you just kind of talk to them and basically like, hey, you can do STEM too. Mm -hmm. And we got to talking about that. Me and Nate were trying to answer the question of like, what was hard in your college career? And I was like, I just had, I didn't, I had no direction. I had no idea what anthropology was. They don't prepare you for it in high school. They don't even Mm -hmm. tell you that it exists. Yeah. It's, uh, I didn't know it existed. I think I knew like I'd heard of anthropology in terms of like evolution, but I, I didn't think about it being like an archaeology yeah. kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's like statewide or United States wide. Like it's not a taught class or something that's mentioned. I mean, you do your psychologies, you do even sociology probably in some mm-hmm. locations, but I don't, our anthropology is like really drastically underrepresented in high school. It's kind of a wild <laughs> Listen, when I when I was in eighth grade, we took Georgia history and I I can just answer your question here. It was called the War of Northern Aggression. So that Uh, I was not getting any intro to anthropology in in my (laughs) hometown. Honestly, if they uh, like made anthropology like a high school class, there would be no GOP like that's a that's a. Yeah, firm belief of mine. (laughs) I I agree. I think (laughs) it should be required. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't say GOP, but you know, like the, the extremes of it. Yeah. yeah I think that the, 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 there's certain aspects that wouldn't be <laughs> around anymore. Yeah. When you're exposed right. to just like the diversity of humans, it's, it's hard to be really racist and, ter- yeah. and terrible to other people. Yeah. I guess debatably, but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so the army and you were, what exactly did you do? I was a 13 Bravo cannon crew member. I didn't mean to be one. I went in with a buddy you know, the, the first of the 118th, it was in Savannah when I got into it. It's a kind of a famous guard unit, Hickory's Howitzers. I took the ASVAB, and then when I told them I wanted artillery, they were like, really? Because you don't have to be real smart. You just got to be strong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should have said no, not artillery. He was like, you know, on MI or something like that, military intelligence. But we went into artillery because we had a bunch of friends in that unit. So, you know, whatever, we'll get through these six years and be done. It was fun. It was type two fun. I'll say that for sure. It was fun later. It's fun after type I was done two with it. Fun, huh? yeah. That's I, I've never heard that. That's funny. Well, I don't, <laughs> it, it may it may be made up because Nate told me about it. Type mm. one fun is apparently you have you're having fun while you're doing it, mm-hmm. but type two fun is you look back and you're like, yeah, that was fun. It was miserable while I was doing it, but yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it's like, like the reminiscing that. about it is yeah is the is the good part. Yeah. So you go go away, do your six years. Um, come back and decided that anthropology history was kind of what you wanted to continue to study? Well, so the good thing about the the Army Guard is, you know, you work a civilian life and a, and a military life. So I was able to work civilian jobs and without education, you know, my grandpa was a big construction guy. So I worked construction. I did pipe fitting. I, you know, I did farm work. I did corrections. And I, I just was like, man, this is miserable. I have to buckle down and get this stuff done so I can be an archaeologist. You know, I, I don't want to be one of those guys that had big dreams and now I'm a SoundCloud rapper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm there. So it's, uh, I get it. That's yeah, what amazing. It's amazing what like a little hard labor and, and like real yeah. world jobs will like put into you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like doing? I mean, obviously you just kind of explained it, but like balancing both sounds like hell to me. 
it's one of the reasons that I am so passionate about the VCP is it was hell. Most guard units are pretty standard two two days a, a month, two weeks during the summer. The 118th was not standard. The 118th was all about training. They're a sister unit to the 3rd ID in Fort Stewart, which has a ridiculous deployment rate. So it was more like three days a month, 60 days during the summer. So there's no way to balance the civilian life. Yeah, legally, civilian employers have to keep your job and this and that. But we all know they can find a way to fire you. So... You know, yeah. it's just how capitalism works. They'll find a way to fire you. So that's that's one of the reasons I was like, man, this program's important. I gotta I gotta be a part of it. The uh, the the VCP. Yeah, yeah, the VCP. Yeah, cool. How'd you find it, by the way? It was actually my mentor, uh, Dr. Jared Wood at Georgia Southern, was like, man, I think this is. It's almost like this program was made for you to be a part of because you know, I, I veterans get a pretty crappy end of the stick and right. if i could combine archaeology and my passion for helping other veterans like why not you're gonna pay me to do that sweet yeah it it definitely sh- like as an anthropologist shocked me at that job not only like i mean veterans are just very hardworking and like drilled people but like mm-hmm. just how like the army's like or the navy air force too or marines are just like bye and then like they have no idea what to do and like, oh yeah yeah, I, I was like, wow, I never thought about that. Yeah, the common, I feel like the, my knowledge was that they would like treat you well and like get you situated into like civilian life, but it doesn't <laughs> seem like that's something like that's ever done. I mean, no. No. <laughs> shit. Yeah. It's yeah. like, hey, did you turn in all your gear? Okay, see you. Hope you don't die in the streets. Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> and like some people get disability and stuff, and then you get your. Like, do you, you get a pension or is that only if you're like a captain? It's only if you retire, oh, Okay, which is super hard in the guard because in the regular army, you just do your 20 years. But in the guard, yeah. you have to do a certain number of years and milestones to equal up to a certain amount of points. So it may be 23, 24 years when you actually retire. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> and even then, it's not like the VA is just terrible to deal with. So, As I experienced. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think on that cheery note, we're going to end this segment and we will be right back talking with Josh Heron. Welcome back to episode 158 of the Life Nerds podcast. We're here with Josh Heron. And last time we just kind of talked about the military and your job, but I'd love to know when you got to Georgia Southern, what was your undergrad experience like and like, you know, research wise and what kind of stuff were you doing? So when I finally, you know, got my collective crap together, I volunteered in the lab quite a bit and it led me to connect with with who I consider to be my mentor now, Dr. Jared Wood. He's an archaeologist at Georgia Southern. And I, I just kind of tried to, you know, stick to him like glue because I could t- this. He's one of those guys that just knows everything. Like he's he's so smart that he, I guess, got bored in archaeology and co-authored a paper with a biologist at Georgia Southern about an invasive gecko species. Oh, my God. You, you know what I mean? Like he's one of those. He just knows literally everything there is to know. Huh. I was lucky enough to to be able to work under him and learn under him and the other greats at Georgia Southern. Really, really dedicated staff there, which is awesome to see. They truly care about this. It's it's a small department. There's more students, but it's a small department and they're able to individually get with the students and, you know, really get to know them. I ended up I ended up doing the field school on the site that actually ended up being my thesis site. And we me, Dr. Wood and another student, his name was Val. We 
volunteered and put in the research on some of the stuff and ended up being able to co-author a paper with Dr. Wood on it and present it at the Georgia Archaeological Society. Mm-hmm. And being a, a non-traditional student, you know, when I finally graduated like 14 years later, I, I went to Dr. Wood and the faculty and I was just <laughs> like, you know, hey, I own a house here. I'm in my 30s just got divorced. I think it would be too hard to go somewhere else for grad school. Would you guys let me come here? Turns out as much as I liked him and, you know, was trying to learn from him, I had taken like one of Dr. Wood's courses. So it worked out to where I was like, you know, not relearning the same stuff, which is, you know, why they want you to go to their schools. So I was lucky enough to get to do that and start grad school there at Georgia Southern. Very cool. Okay, Joshua, what site did you do your field school on? So this was a site, it was private land in Scriven County, Georgia, something like 600 acres. The landowner was uh, was an acquaintance of Dr. Woods that he'd spoken to over the years and wanted the land to revert into, I forget what it's called, but like a managed area by the DNR or something, you know, where it wouldn't be chopped up and sold. There's several, several occupa- possible occupation sites on the land, so you know, it's it, it's right near a confluence of streams. Um, I'm not going to go into super deep detail since it is private land, but it's a really great site and there's prehistoric and historic components. Oh, that's that's awesome. Did you yeah. guys focus on both of them or did you? Well, initially, we I don't know what they've done so far, you know, after I've left, but it was the, the historic component was what was really focused. What's it like digging like a mixed context kind of site like that? <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this. I have enough chert to do eight or nine theses okay. on that on that site. Oh, shit. So, wow. And maybe like a total of like 200 historic artifacts. So pretty, pretty challenging. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Did you do your thesis specifically on the historics and, and or did, did you do some other sort of research or? So I was I was mainly focused on trying to prove Stan South wrong, which is a lofty goal. It, well, not, I won't say prove him wrong. Contest Long his story, views. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Stan South himself said, my sample size is small. Please go out and try to prove me wrong. We need more sites to make my theories correct. And I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately. I did all, you know, I did everything but the metal detection. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to prove Stan South wrong. This isn't even close to any of his site types. Did the metal detection. It fits squarely in the frontier pattern. So. Stan South wins again. So for those who are not of us who are not like uh, familiar with that, what is Stan South and what kind of theory does he have that you're kind of uh, hoping to contest or Stan South was, uh, he focused primarily on colonial site formation processes, mainly with the use of uh, refuse disposal. He got it so down pat. Oh my God. I can't, I can't believe you asked me this. If Dr. Wood listens to this podcast and I'm wrong, I'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he mainly focused on the, the refuse disposal. He was able to come up with the Brunswick pattern, which was basically saying, hey, this is a British colonial site based on the refuse disposal. He could even tell you where the front and back doors of a building were based on the refuse disposal. He also he focused a lot on ceramics, getting the mean ceramic date, which is annoying because I initially thought that archaeology had no math. I'm really bad at math. Turns out it's like all math. Yeah, there's a lot of it. <laughs> Fuck. So, so I was bamboozled from from the get go, but yeah, basically it fell into two site types: the Carolina pattern, which was a more domestic site, and the frontier pattern. And he did this through his artifact groups and the percentages that were present in the refuse disposal. So the Carolina pattern focused a lot more on like 
kitchen stuff and, and ceramics and the frontier pattern would focus more on things like nails and and outdoorsy i'm using finger quotes here kind of stuff so and is this an absence of like any sort of structure or anything like that this is just like focusing yeah. squarely on where people threw all their stuff yeah i mean there there are often structures but there were zero structures where i was and i was still able to fit it squarely into the into the frontier pattern, but just based on the dispo, the refuse disposal. I mean, that may have changed with further work done out of there, but when I was, you know, when I stopped, it was, that's what my data showed me. So we don't talk about historic archaeology much on here just because we haven't done a ton of it. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. do you yeah, go off? What would, yeah. What would you, <laughs> what would you tell someone who was wanting to study historic archaeology? Like, how would you get them excited about this? So I didn't even know that I wanted to do historic archaeology. Whenever we were doing this paper as an undergrad, I initially was like, hey, I want to do the prehistoric stuff. Dr. Will was like, nah, big dog, you're going to do the historic stuff. So turns out I loved it. The ceramics are wild. I have a favorite ceramic. It's mocha ware. Mocha ware is made. Well, it's characterized by its brown dendritic patterns. Those patterns come from a mixture of urine and tobacco juice oh so yeah so a i wonder who thought i'm gonna pee on this and spit on it and see what happens and then mass market it (laughs) but i always out there's a piece in a a collection at the augusta lab david that is a a true mocha wear and i'll pass it around kind of talk about it and be like hey guys guess how that's made it's made with pee pee (laughs) and they're all like i touched it (laughs) yeah (laughs) the thing i would say is you know there's a lot of what what Dr. McNutt, my, well, another one of my mentors, called sexy archaeology. Um, <laughs> uh, what is what a sentence? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot to a lot to unpack there. So, but yeah, you, you know, it's stuff like lead balls, lead shot. I didn't find any, but muskets, pistols, stuff like that. Dr. McNutt is a is a conflict archaeologist, which is some of the most awesome historic archaeology ever. Oh, my, yeah, my um, apologies. Yeah, he uh, he did his. I know he did his doctorate at, at Glasgow University, or uh, is it university in the UK? I don't know. But yeah, between between him, Doctor Wood, and Doc, Doctors Altman and Compton, I had a pretty sweet team of mentors at Georgia Southern. I'm, I mean, don't get me wrong, I was beaten down and and broken, but. I, I would be the archaeologist I am without them. So yeah, as I feel like too fun. <laughs> yeah, as is tradition with uh, with grad school and all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool to be exposed to that because I think what I think of in terms of historic archaeology is kind of these random can scatters, maybe later stuff. But there are pieces of information and really cool things you can kind of study and things you can trace back to certain manufacturers or you know, or talk about creation with getting peed on and spit on, you know, that's, that stuff is super interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I was like fascinated when I took a historic archeology span class that like, you can tell the period of time based on like how they laid the bricks. I was like, wow, this is really something I'm getting tested on right now, but like, cool. (laughs) And, And it's kind of fascinating how they could, once you have documents, you can do all that. Yeah, documentary evidence definitely is a great part of historical archaeology. It makes things a lot easier. Yeah. Can you elaborate on what that's like, actually? Because besides archives, I have from the VCP, I have no like experience with like historic documents doing archaeology. 
So there, there are things called, you know, plat maps that are basically like, I may think, Hey, there's a site here. There's no structures. I don't, I, nobody knows about it or whatever. And I go check in the county's, gosh, what did I think like the tax office or something. And here's a plat map showing a building that was built in 1712. Well, not in Georgia, 1757. And now I can go look and be like, Hey, I have this plat map. Oh, it shows a giant Oak. Look, there's a giant Oak. Now I have a much better concept of where I'm probably going to start working. The Georgia, um, God, what is it? I've, I've purged a lot of thesis stuff out of my head. Rightfully so. Same. <laughs> there's a, <laughs> there's, um, a whole book, like 26 volumes of letters from the trustees of, of the Georgia colony, you know, back to England to, to random officials and stuff that trace orders for millstones and supplies and, Hey, we're going to build a town here and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's very helpful. That's I mean, that's super cool. I don't, we don't get like, um, at least out here in the West, like we do a lot with plat maps in terms of like mining and uh, mm-hmm. GLOs and stuff like that. But the, that documentary evidence, those letters and stuff, is that like yeah. really interesting to read and kind of see what people are talking about in their day-to-day lives? It is very interesting. And I just remembered it. It's the colonial records of Georgia and it's available online to read for anybody who's interested in it. Georgia had a, a short and tumultuous life as a colony before, you know, freedom with all caps. Um, so it's, it's pretty it's pretty cool to read what was happening in that short period. <laughs> Georgia, was it a penal colony? I hear that a lot, but I never remember if no. it was. Okay. So that that's an urban myth. I'm going to try to stay out of the weeds because I could talk about this for hours. Do it. Oglethorpe wanted a colony that was different from the Carolina plantation style economy where all the wealth was concentrated in plantation owners. He wanted a colony progressive that yeah, progressive colony. Slavery was outlawed in Georgia. Initially slavery was not legal in Georgia until 1751. That's when Georgia went from a trustee colony to a Royal colony. And they were like, Hey man, South Carolina and North Carolina are just making tons of money. We got to do something else, bro. Yeah. So it was initially Oglethorpe, and Oglethorpe actually caused it himself by defeating the Spanish at the Battle of Bloody Marsh because it ended up taking away the threat that if they brought in slaves, they would defect to the Spanish for freedom Mm. and fight against Georgia. So Oglethorpe accidentally screwed himself. He played himself. Mm. Was was Florida in Spanish hands at that point? Is that why it was kind kind of on the edge of that? Yeah. Okay. St. Augustine's like right south of Georgia, pretty much. Yep. Um, it's only a couple hours from where I grew up. Yeah. But, it was a, a typical poor people vacation spot when I was uh, a poor kid. So I've been to St. Augustine a few St. times. Augustine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my parents just visited it. My dad was telling me like, well, one, he said it was very disappointing, like the archaeology there, because it was just all for kids. Yeah. But if anyone works at St. Augustine that's listening to this podcast, I'm sorry, I guess. But <laughs> he also was telling me like, because... When the Spanish got here, it was like, like they had just kicked the Muslims out of Spain. So like it was like medieval architecture. And he was saying that the Mm -hmm. St. Augustine is technically like the oldest medieval architecture in the Americas because it is the only medieval architecture, like those kinds of forts. And I was like, that is interesting. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it. It was like mid 16th century when St. Augustine was founded. So it's pretty old. Yeah. That's, and that's another thing people don't think about, about historic archaeology is how old some of the stuff truly is in, in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. So after the war, what kind of went on like in Georgia, like the Revolutionary War, this plantation economy? It, it gravitated that way. And one of the big things in the South was timber. Okay. There were many examples of tall, straight, huge timber 
in the colonial records of Georgia and it was sent back to uh, Britain initially as, you know, ship stuff. Mm-hmm. I kind of my expertise and I'm using finger quotes at expertise kind of ends at the revolution. So gotcha. Okay. Uh, we just went wild. I think there was a lot of whiskey. Okay. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> okay. Georgia is pretty like forested for sure. Like I, I was yeah. surprised by that when I got there. Oh, me too. When you, when I like visited you out there, I was like, what? I thought it was yeah. just like, you know, peach, yeah, plantations yeah. and like <laughs> no, no sort of like, um, topography or anything but where you're like a, we're, a pine jungle <laughs> like, yeah yeah oh yeah the pine barrens yeah 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 like august is wild and you're right near south carolina and all that stuff so it's cool i mean it's a really cool and uh landscape would recommend i wouldn't recommend living there but you know visiting yeah especially no, no we got we got a lot of stuff like you know we got the coast we got the coastal plain we got the piedmont area where there's mount me and well, Nate forced me to climb a mountain in North Georgia a couple weekends ago. It was pretty miserable. <laughs> so there, are, you know, there's the Appalachian Trail starts here. It's a very we got a we got a little bit of everything in Georgia. The beaches um, are pretty but, too. Yeah, yeah, but everywhere, everywhere it's hot. Yeah. So, I I agree with that. Yeah. It was Wasn't hot. like almost like every film filmed in Georgia, or there's like a large majority of there's films? a yeah there's a huge film industry in Georgia and Atlanta. You know, Forrest Gump was filmed in Savannah or parts of it was filmed in Savannah. My friend that I worked with in the bars back in the day, his name's Bo Turpin. He was, he works in, uh, I don't know what do you call it, Atlanta wood, but okay. anyway, he, yeah. he does films. So cool. Huh. Cause I you know most of the Marvel green screen stuff is done in Georgia mm-hmm. or Atlanta. I thought that was neat. Yeah. Well, anyway, we definitely want to ask you about your thesis and your master's work and then how you got to the VCP. So let's wrap this up and we'll come back in the next segment. Welcome back to episode 158 of Life Roots Podcast here with Josh Heron and Connor Johnnan. I want to ask you about your thesis. To call back to when I said you were a very imposing human, you, like, in the very first day of working with you, established with me that you were a Norse pagan. Or practicing one, and I was like, "Wow, that makes sense." And I was like, "Wait, are you Norse?" And you said, "No, Irish." <laughs> that, was, that was really funny. But you also, are you, I can't remember if you were a priest or you had something blessed by a priest, and you sent it to me that wolf totem thing. I didn't. It wasn't blessed, but it was, you know, a big thing in paganism is gift giving. So you know, a wolf totem. Okay. You, you work with dogs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. So I'm not. I will not ever profess to be an expert in this at all. I'm just just wading into these waters i think it's one of those things where like you know when it thunders i don't believe that that's thor beating his hammer on something i just sure. like the way that odin goes about teaching stuff it's kind of like all the stuff jesus said in the bible and it's good stuff but it doesn't really get used yeah so um yeah it's gotcha. it's pretty cool um the unfortunate part is all the white supremacists took our symbols <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i can't yeah. get any tattoos <laughs> I want to get a I want to get a Mjolnir <laughs> tattoo, but obviously I can't because it'd be it just wouldn't look good. Yeah, yeah, not a good look. I actually have a friend from Georgia Southern, uh, Michael Putnam. That I, I don't know. I just kind of <laughs> wait. How's that one funny? I would I would think like a friend that introduced you to North Paganism would be like oh yeah or something. he was in the anthropology department as well. He's a graduate of Georgia Southern, and I don't I just kind of saw his stuff on Facebook, and I was like, hey man, this looks really cool. It seems like a really inclusive, you know, really positive thing, and I just kind of got into it and 
took me under his wing and here I am beard later. Yeah. That's cool. I don't think I've ever met one in person. So I, I was, I've told people that now, like I know, <laughs> know a guy. Do you do any, what kind of practices is, is part of that? You know, a lot of the pagan festivals like a star, uh, I'm big on, uh, Luna saw, which is an, it's based on an Irish deity, Lou. He's kind of an all around badass. You know, I just, I learned, I learned bread baking, which is a big thing. Kind of, I, I'm like that annoying hippie uncle that gives handmade gifts all the time now because I give handmade gifts all the time now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's better than a gift card. Yeah, it's just, it's yeah. better than pulling up in a longboat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a lot of, uh, I guess I'd classify it as like down to earth stuff. Just, Sure. It's such an accepting world that I, I, I really enjoy it. And, it, you know, the lessons aren't even crazy. Like I bought, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. It's basically like the teachings of of Odin. And it's it's just not it's not even crazy stuff. It's like, hey, man, yeah, go out and have a few beers. Just don't get trash and throw up on yourself. Yeah. Hey, sure. Go out and fight. But, you know, maybe don't murder people that don't need murdering. Yeah, it's it's pretty just really thing. simple down to earth. I can get stuff. behind that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can get behind that. You know, it's not like, uh, yeah, it's not like other other religions where there's very specific things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like, hey, maybe just be a good human sometimes. And I think it's the Hava Mall is is what it's called. I think. Do you? I mean, obviously, I'm being insensitive by laughing about some things, but like, do you find like, wouldn't say prejudice or like, do you find any people that are like just kind of scoff at it kind of thing? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like, like, I'm assuming because with Vikings and all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, even my aunt, she's like, you know, I love her to death. She's like a hardcore Southern Baptist. Mm. So, you know, I don't get how people look at one. And I'm using religion very loosely. Uh, It's more of like a lifestyle. But which one? Neither one of them are crazier than the other. You know, (laughs) They're, they're all pretty crazy. That's your yeah. anthropology talking there, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I love that you're like six foot five, massive beard. You're a Norse pagan and you're from Georgia and you say, gosh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm telling you, man, I'm like the nicest dude ever. And one of, one of my, um, one of the things from, I don't think last session, no, it was last session. It was like, he's kind of unapproachable. And I was like, dude, I can't turn off this asshole face. Like, it's just natural. I'm really, really <laughs> nice. <laughs> the, it's funny you say that, too, because I a lot of the employees I had, like, because you can't hang out with them yeah. like when they're employees. But after I would get a beer with them and stuff when they graduated and like <laughs> one girl was like, I you just seemed so unapproachable because you were so busy. And I was like, I was absolutely not. I was, I was writing Instagram posts on my computer and I felt bad that I was taking government money to do this. Yeah. Like you could have come up and talk. She's like, you seem so like smart and like intimidating. And I was like, I was literally probably looking up Zelda theories. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a fun gig. I learned a lot and it, it was very, I'm successful now. I put that in quotes uh, like you've been doing because of that job, I'd yeah. say. So that's good. Can, can you guys both like kind of talk about the highs and lows of something like this? Cause it's not, it's not a straightforward archeology span or anthropology job. Like you are, you, you have to have a skill set that is not inherently taught to you. Like a, a people skill set that I don't think is taught to everyone. I was a therapist, dude. 
for like yeah oh yeah i took the same thing that david did i took the mental health first aid thing oh yeah you did too okay yeah cool yeah i'm pretty much just david now yeah (laughs) it it, it shocks me and i'm like i'm sure you know this too like especially if they've seen some stuff in the and on deployments and things like like the mental health system when you're out of the army is like even harder to figure out i'd imagine Mm -hmm. so like i would just be like dude i think about that shit all the time like I don't own a gun. <laughs> like yeah. it'd be bad if I did kind of thing. And they're like, Oh, me too. And then we would talk and like, yeah, like that was pretty dark. Sorry. But you know what I mean? That was an extreme, but the, the stigma of mental health is still there. I mean, you know, the initial part of the war, you know, there was a big stigma about PTSD. Nobody wanted anyone to know they had PTSD, no mental health problems. Cause you got characterized as this crazy, violent mm-hmm. war fighter, you know? So that still persists, you know, 20 plus years later. We actually have had texts be like, I refuse to get a PTSD diagnosis, which is like 50% at the VA. That's like 50%. That's a lot of money. And they've been like, I refuse to get it because I don't want it to affect jobs in the future. I don't want people to think I'm crazy. Yeah. I I think it's, you know, it's no secret for a lot of people, but especially with me, I have a big problem with how our country treats veterans. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I'm not one myself, but from what I saw there, I was like, yeah. oof, yeah. Do you think this um, program is like a one of a good example of a way that the country is teaching people and giving people jobs and, and whatnot? I, I do. I, I And I also think, you know, particularly every lab is great, but I know particularly in Augusta, we go out of our way to make it a, a comfortable environment. Yeah. You know, like we were the I'm very, lab. Y- yeah, yeah. Yeah. 100%. I have been... In the last few years, I've taken charge of my own mental health, and I'm tr- I try to be very vocal about it. You know, like, hey, man, I have debilitating panic attacks. I have, you know, I, I probably checked the door to see if it was locked 18 times before I left the house today. Yeah, you talk to me, man. You know, talk to me. Don't don't let it eat you up. So it is a is a little it's a little bit of a drain on your own mental health, but I think it's worth it. Yeah, and I, I like I don't mean to talk for you, but the just all the stuff that people go through and things. And like, I would say the hard part too, and you might experience this as well Is like, I can talk to a guy like me and you like a vet like that, like a Marine that was my age, I could easily level with him. But when he came in and said like, I need help finding a job, Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, dog, let's, let's do this. But when it's a mother of three and she's like 45, like I had no idea how to like help. Like it was just a new thing I had to like deal with. Cause like never had kids. Like I have never had a 401k. So I, I, or I do now, but or not, not a lot of it, uh, how to help them. And it was part of my job to, to do that. And it was something I had to learn, but what was really unique and the state archeologist of Wyoming told me this too. He was like, you're the first person I know that's like left grad school, not gotten a PhD and not gone into CRM, but got a job doing anthropology. And like that hit me. And I was like, right. Cause I'm an anthropologist at this job and you have to play the role of like, I was like, shit, I'm my professor. Like, I'm the guy at the desk that they come talk to. And like, that hit me one day. And then also like with that mother of three, like, okay, I'm an anthropologist. Here's the patterns I've seen of the veterans that come in. Here's how the culture works in Augusta. Like, here's how I can help you based on what I know, like empirically. Yeah. Um, and I like, I don't know if you have that experience there too or not, but. Oh yeah. I've, <laughs> there's been many times, you know, veterans are talking to me and they feel so down about not being farther. And I'm like, man, I have these exact same thoughts. Like, you know, you're in a great position here. We're here to help and stuff, but just know like everyone around you is thinking, man, I'm not far enough, man. I'm not doing good enough, man. This sucks. Yeah. It's been, it's been, 
how do I say it's been great to use my own poor experiences as a veteran to help other veterans. So at least those poor experiences are, are good for something. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. And then you're, you're the artifacts manager too. So I'm sure you're dealing with my aftermath of two glue. <laughs> you had a hiccup the other day, I remember, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we can talk about that one. <laughs> uh, it was a good one. <laughs> we'll tell Connor after the show. Yeah. <laughs> did David write something? I know. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he did. Okay. How did you know yeah. that? Uh, I've already, uh, yeah. Chris, Chris oh, Rowe is a, is a good, good friend of ours. And yeah, I think we had this conversation before. <laughs> How is working Easter for <laughs> How is working for Chris? Is Chris uh, a decent? So Chris has moved into an admin position where I don't work directly for him, mm. but Chris is one of the best people I've ever worked with. So you know, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen Chris have a bad day. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> like I've never met a human like that. Yeah, it'll be like he could just get his leg like taken off by a train and he'd be like, gosh, darn it. You guys want to get tacos? You know, it's like <laughs> he's just never had a bad day. That's Chris. Yeah. yeah shout out Chris Rowe. You're, you're <laughs> a fantastic human. As we're like kind of winding down, I did want to ask you. Oh, thesis, right? No, I was going to ask him like, um, um, did you have any advice for either veterans or non-traditional students who want to get into archaeology? Do you have any things, tips, tricks, dance moves? So for non-traditional students, uh, I know it sucks and it seems like you're too old or you're never going to finish it, but you definitely can. In my And when I was in grad school, there was a dude that was like 75 finishing his master's. So it's never too late. Don't give up on your dreams just because it seems hard because, you know, here I am, mama made it. But for veterans, one of the good things that comes out of being a veteran, you know, there's a lot of crappy stuff that comes out of being a veteran. But one of the good things about being a veteran is that is a leg up in the world of archaeology, you know, especially with like federal jobs. That's an automatic boost to get you ahead of the game in federal jobs. So use it. Uh, I've always been very hesitant about using a veteran's discount or being like, hey, I'm a veteran. Thank me. But in federal jobs, use it. Yeah. So it is definitely something that will benefit you. So if you're considering going into archaeology, federal jobs is where it's at. I think like 88% of archaeology is, is CRM, 88% of archaeological employment is CRM. And a lot of that's in the federal sector. So man, be a loud veteran. Yeah, that's good advice. And I don't mean to take from you, but I would also add to, to that statement. Like when I was a younger person before that job, I would say, like I always just assumed veterans, like they get priority because like, you know, they quote serve the country mm-hmm. or yada, yada. But then like, and it was out of respect, but like after working, like having them work for me, like they're the most hardworking people I've ever, like it, they would finish something so quick that I had nothing left to give them. And I was like, bro, just like watch Netflix. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. And like, I would always, I see why veterans get priority a lot in jobs like that. Unfortunately, they're not treated as great as we'd like them to be in any in other areas, but I could see why, like, it, I, I would always pick a veteran over someone else at this point, I think. Anything else I'd want to tell the world about archaeology is, yeah, I'm, I'm involved in a lot of public outreach with New South, our, our parent company at the VCP. I think it's super important that people know about archaeology. Um, I think it's, it's more involved in every day than people think it is. I think a lot of people don't even know what archaeology really is and how much it drives industrialization 
in the modern world. So uh, anytime I can get a chance to show people archaeology, its usefulness, and why you shouldn't just kind of shrug it off and be like, hey, I'm going to take this cool arrowhead from this random spot. I like to jump on that. And even to get to distill it a little bit more, anthropology is the the more important piece yeah. of it. Awesome. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for chatting with us. Uh, we ask all our guests this. So do you have any like uh, books, lit articles, blogs, Discord channels that you would recommend for folks who are interested in kind of historic archaeology or veteran archaeology and stuff like that? So Method and Theory in Historical Archaeology by Stan South, is pro- it's a little bit of a wordy read, but it's worth it. I would check it out. But other than that, you know, maybe not literature, you'd be surprised at how many volunteer archaeology projects are going on around you. So if you're truly interested in it, seek out your county's archaeological society and they're probably hosting a dig soon and and you'll get to go out there and do stuff. That's uh, that's really good advice. I would also second that, too. Um, I, I don't think anyone's really said that before on this podcast is like your local chapters or how you get in the door. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, avocational archaeology is a huge part. Volunteers make up so much of the work archaeology does. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing we have to ask you, so because this is a life in ruins, if you were like given the opportunity to do this all over, would you choose still to live a life in ruins? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think I was meant to be anywhere else. You know, it was a rough journey. Probably got yelled at more than I should have if I was a little bit more responsible, but I would never, I would never change it. Good. I like that answer, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah coming on and, and chatting with us. Absolutely. This is uh, the part of the show where we tell you to buy our stuff, rate and review. Uh, yeah. Rate and review the podcast. Like uh, you guys know what to do. Just rate and review the podcast. Someone actually did this week. Thank you. Um, yeah. We will we'll send, uh, we'll send you that sticker. Yep. That's it for us. Be sure to rate and review the podcast. Follow us on our socials. Here's an email. Lifemovespodcast.gmail.com. And we're out. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. Connor, do you have a joke? Oh, yeah. I'm secretly converting to Norse paganism. Oh, yeah? Shh. I'm trying to keep it low key. <laughs> God damn it. That's good. <laughs> I, I hate how appropriate it was. <laughs> uh, and with that, uh, we are out for sure. Out. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.